With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini. We are presented by The Athletic. I have been released from quarantine. I am finally sitting in my final location of Melbourne, Australia. And the first thing that I thought to do was to get James Edwards on the phone from over at The Athletic. We're going to talk about a couple of things here today. We're going to dive into the Stan Van Gundy hire with the Pelicans because James covered Stan Van Gundy for a year in Detroit uh, in his first year uh, on the beat. So that'll be a fun conversation. And then James and I are going to dive deep into the Bulls, Pacers, uh, Cavaliers. Who are the other two teams here, James? Bulls, Pacers. Well, the Pistons. The Pistons, um, your team. And, and the Bucks. And the Bucks, the important one, actually. The important, this yes, the one that matters. So we're going to dive into those teams. But first, James, how you doing, man? I'm doing well, Sam. I'm a big fan of the podcast, so I appreciate you having me on. I feel like you got me on to torture me, though, knowing that you just got to Australia and I'm looking out my Michigan window um, in late October. So that's not cool, but I hope the move's gone well. Um when I when you posted about it, I didn't know about it. But when you posted about it, it seemed like an amazing, amazing <laughs> opportunity. So I'm happy for you, and I hope it's gone well. Thanks. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's really good. I will tell you this though: like I walked outside to take the dog outside today, mm-hmm. and I could like see my breath, like walking outside and coming from Los Angeles to this. There's been an adjustment. I'll just say that. Like, look, it's not Detroit, but. It's it's pretty cold here, man. Is it? Okay, yeah. I, I don't want to sound like an idiot. I assumed Australia weather was LA times three. No, nah, I'm an idiot. So, so Sydney is kind of like that, and Queensland is kind of like that. But well, Melbourne isn't. Yeah, Melbourne's like a little bit uh, all over the place with weather. And the oh. cool thing though is that we moved right before summer because the seasons are reversed. So right. Um, yeah, you know, while you were freezing cold in December, uh, I actually will be very hot. So, like, the next time you come on this podcast, this conversation is going to be real, and you're going to want to, like, come <laughs> through the computer and just straight up punch me in the face. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. And what I I'd learned, I had no idea. I, I'm so naive. I thought all of Australia was just beautiful all the time. I need to get on a plane more and uh, travel across the uh, the ocean when uh, it opens up. Yeah, like, look, it's not going to snow here, we don't think, right. but 
Yeah, no, I mean, we're we're pumped. Uh, Laura and I are very excited. Laura's very excited to be back home with her family. So uh, I was going to say she's I'm, Australian, right? She is. Yeah. And yeah. we're excited to be here and to uh, start to look for places to live because right now we're at Laura's parents' house, which is fantastic. They're like the best people in the world. But uh, it's just, uh, you know, it's it's a it's a change for sure. Yeah, definitely. Well, good. I'm glad it's going well. And let's uh, suppress those happy thoughts with NBA Central Division talk. Oh, God. Uh, so let's <laughs> let's dive into Stan Van first. So uh, as oh, yeah. reported by everyone across the Internet this morning while I was sleeping, uh, I, I don't know that I want to give like credit to Woj first or Shams first. I don't know who got it first. But um, Stan Van Gundy got hired by the New Orleans Pelicans. I think it's a good hire. I think that the biggest thing that the Pelicans needed is a sense of defensive accountability. And Stan Van Gundy will certainly do that. I think that Stan, the basketball executive and Stan, the basketball coach probably got conflated a little bit in Detroit because while Stan, I think is a very, very good basketball coach, he was not a very good executive. And that led to some moves that were more of the win now variety that has led Detroit down this road of struggling for a few years now. Mm-hmm. But I think Stan actually did a good job of preparing them as a basketball coach. And again, this is a New Orleans team that just desperately struggled defensively under Alvin Gentry. And if Stan Van can bring some level of accountability on that end, I think it's a really good hire. Like I said in the intro, you were actually uh, around in Detroit for that last year of Stan Van's era. So I'll just toss it to you. I mean, what do you think of this hire? Um, yeah, we talked about this last week on Point of Contention when offering up like who would be the best coach for the Pelicans, Ty Lue or Stan Van. And I went with Stan Van. I Like you said, Sam, he's – I don't think anybody's ever questioned him as a basketball coach. Like he's – he turned Detroit into a – they obviously didn't win while he was here, but they they were a respectable organization again. Um, if you remember before Stan got there, there was the whole kind of anarchy with with the Rip and Tayshon leaving, John Kuster uh, not showing up to practice. Like Detroit was in a bad spot. The Josh Smith thing. They were five and twenty three when he was there, um, and then Stan stretched and waved them, and they went on a massive winning streak. Um, uh, you go look at his last year, Andre Drummond. He to shy away from Andre doing post ups. He put him in like a lot of DHO settings where he had the ball at the top of the key on the elbow and he was doing handoffs and he was involved that way. Um, you can go down the line with Stan as a coach, and I think it's a great hire. Like you said, there's going to be accountability. The uh, I almost said the Panthers, the Pelicans desperately need some accountability, especially on defense. Um, and I, I think Stan's had a second to kind of step back and evaluate this new NBA. He kind of went right into the Detroit job adding extra stuff to his plate and the the game was still in the middle of transforming like i remember my first year there would be two or three hour shoot arounds um and like you just can't do that anymore and now right. he has a guy a guy in Zion who he definitely can't do stuff like that with anymore um and i think once he got Blake in Detroit you saw that that stuff kind of start to whittle, whittle down a little bit and he, it wasn't happening as much you talk to any player i think um that had him you, you respect stan as a man i mean i was telling will gilroy like he's gonna enjoy stan uh, funny dude if 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 you're a reporter and you have a notebook and you need to fill your notebook stan's gonna fill it every single day in practice with his thoughtful answers uh but from a basketball perspective i do think he is if he learned 
how to deal with players, manage players not in a relationship way, because I think if you talk to most players, they like Stan, but on a day-to-day basis, not load management per se, but just adapting to the new NBA and, and that player-coach relationship that is needed um, in today's game. I, I think he's a great hire for, like you said, he, nobody's really questioned Stan as a coach in, in many other factors. Um, I, I think he's always been creative. Um, I think he's always held people accountable. I think he's, I mean, he's a, still a student of the game and, and is always trying to get better. I, I, I like Stan in New Orleans uh, for many reasons, especially if he was able to kind of learn, sit back, adapt to how these new generation of players are, are being coached today. Yeah, you know, that was the one thing that people within the NBA brought up to me when I asked about Stan to New Orleans last week, because this has been percolating now for a couple of weeks as a potential outcome here. And the thing that they brought up was would Zion and Brandon Ingram and, you know, Drew Holiday heading into a potential contract year appreciate the way that Stan is going to work them. And I kind of pushed back on that because a, I figured that Stan being out of the game for a while would have learned. And B, I kind of think that this New Orleans team has the personalities to deal with that. Like Drew Holiday is someone who wants to win. And Zion Williamson is not a troublemaker. Like he's not someone that's going to cause issues in the locker room because he doesn't want to work. Like right. Zion Williamson's a worker. Uh, Brandon Ingram, like, Brandon Ingram likes to work on his game. He might bristle a little bit at like some of the defensive accountability stuff just because frankly, he hasn't been held accountable defensively yet in his young career. Uh, he needs that though to take the next step within his career. At the end of the day, if Brandon Ingram can't be a even average level defender because right now he's not, he's not going to reach his ceiling as a player, which I think is just absolutely through the roof uh, as a shot maker and as uh, an offensive force who can get to that pull up in today's game whenever he wants on the wing uh, with his size, with his length, with his shiftiness. So I think it's a really good hire. I think it's a move that makes a lot of sense. Like, look, we can parse through, you know, the Detroit era with Stan Van. Uh, this is a guy that figured out how to actualize Dwight Howard and some of these Orlando teams. He figured out how to actualize Richard Lewis uh, in a substantial way. That contract got maligned whenever he signed that deal. And he figured out a way to make it a worthwhile deal uh, for Richard Lewis to morph into a really high level player in Orlando. Not that he wasn't in Seattle necessarily, but uh, there were questions about how that would go down. So I think it's a smart move. I really do. Uh, I think it's something that's, if it, if it doesn't work in new Orleans while Stan is there, because they can't figure it out defensively while Stan is there, it will say to me that, they need to bring in different players to build a defensive culture, not necessarily that Stan failed because we have enough of a track record now of Stan Van Gundy being a good defensive coach to know that if it doesn't work in New Orleans, it's personnel, not 
coaching and scheme, which I think is a question in New Orleans because Alvin Gentry is not necessarily the best right. defensive coach in the world. No, I agree with that 100%. Like you said, the track record is there to suggest that if this doesn't go well, that they need to put better players on the roster and more players that are defensive-minded and willing to buy in. Um, yeah, I mean, Stan, look, people remember Detroit as kind of a failed project because he was also in the front office. But if, if you remember, and injuries really hurt Stan. And it's not to say that he didn't make questionable decisions like – signing reggie jackson to that type of deal when there were lingering issues before that um but that 2000 and it was before i got on the beat so what year did they get swept by the Cavs? oh 17 16 one of those years stanley johnson's rookie year i always remember that just because of the whole lebron <laughs> stuff but i mean that was an okay team i think they got 42 wins 43 wins something like that they were healthy relative to the most of the year i think reggie jackson was uh, close to being an all-star i think average 18 a game um they they had a decent team with Tobias and Marcus Morris and KCP. Uh, that was one of the closer four game first round four game sweeps that you'll remember in some time. But it's like when when Stan has pieces, he he can make it work. Um, and now that he just solely is going to focus on coaching, I I think people are going to be kind of brought back to memory how how good of a coach Stan was, and 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 still could be. Yeah, and. You know, the bummer of all of this is that we lose Stan Van, the announcer, who... Yes, and I hope he doesn't stop tweeting, too. Oh, God. Yeah, the Stan Van Twitter account has been just absolutely incredible. I uh, Shout out Stan Van, just taking runs at Trump all day and uh, <laughs> just tweeting like crazy. We, we love it and appreciate it here at the Game Theory Podcast. Uh, but Stan Van, the announcer, was quickly turning into the absolute best announcer. Easily. in basketball I, I, uh I, it was him and doris burke like were the yep. two standards for being able to get entertainment as well as just such high level basketball knowledge and uh clarity in terms of being able to break it down for people that like aren't in the weeds like this like you and i are yeah and that's and i always have this discussion with people when it comes to stan's brother jeff and mark and it's like to me there are two people when it comes to broadcasting and announcing in the nba that I enjoy listening to because I'm go as somebody that's entrenched in the NBA, I'm going to learn something from and, and even three doing it because he doesn't do it as much anymore. But Doris, Stan, and even Hubie Brown. Other than that, though, I enjoy humor. So like, I don't mind Jeff and Mark as other people do. Like, I don't always need a history lesson, but when it's Doris and Stan specifically, I am buckled in. I'm going to learn something new, um, and hopefully. Um, everything works out in New Orleans, and he's there for a long time. Very good dude. Uh, but if if things don't work out, hopefully he's right back in that in that booth. Yeah, part of me would be really interested to see what Jeff looks like without Mark Jackson. Yes, because I feel like Mark often derails things a little bit, and Jeff plays his role in derailing the conversation as well. But there's just like a. Are they too good of friends, maybe? Yeah. I, I don't can't. know their relationship, but it seems like they're just goofing on each other. Like, they're just buddies, and it, yeah. and, it, and it shows. Yeah, there's definitely a big part of that, I think, that, like, they like to just mess with each other constantly, and then, like, Mark will go out on these, like, weird clutch tangents uh, <laughs> where, like, he feels the need to defend, like, clutch clients. And, yeah. like, that that's what the entire finals felt like to me. And it's just, like, 
all right, man. Cool. Like, we're, yeah, we're good. They have their own <laughs> shtick. Yeah, they each have their – Mark has that, and then Jeff wants to change every rule. Oh, God, yeah. Jeff Jeff gets way too bogged down in the officiating, which is just hilarious on a number of levels. But, yeah, no, like, I'd be really interested to see what they each would look like away from one another. Like, would Mark be a little bit more palatable? Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, well, I'd uh, be interested to see. Yeah, I don't know if ESPN's going to do that anytime soon, though. They tend to be uh, pretty successful with what those two are accomplishing right now. So, For sure. All right, James, let's jump into the central division here. And I think we have to start with Milwaukee because their offseason is by far the most important one in this division, uh, if only because you can make a case that now that it feels, uh, you know, fait accompli that Anthony Davis is certainly going to resign in Los Angeles, the by far most important decision is what Giannis decides to do with the Supermax. And I think I will be surprised if he does sign the Supermax, if only because we're entering a new financial reality where uh, the minimum is actually going to or the max, his max, I'm sorry, uh, is going to be slightly lower than what it could have been uh, just by starting this deal in 2021 because it doesn't seem like the salary cap is going to spike this offseason. If it does spike up to 115, like I feel like it does kind of create an incentive that is a little bit different and unexpected mm-hmm. for him that you know, maybe he could look into that, but I think the big thing is finding out where the salary cap settles and if it makes sense for him to sign a Supermax this summer, if he even wants to stay in Milwaukee. And look, I, I tend to take him at his word when he says that he would prefer to stay in Milwaukee throughout his entire career. Uh but it's also a business and he is one of the three best players in the NBA. And at the end of the day, he's going to want to get into a situation where he can win. And there is some question about this Milwaukee roster. If it is currently constituted in a way that will allow him to win. Yeah. I mean, I'm with you. I don't, I, I'd be surprised if he, if he signs it again, there's other things that could play into that. I just think he's going to get the money anyway. Um, He's going to get a shitload of money anyway. Um, play it out, see what happens. Um, take yeah, if you're going to commit yourself to a, an organization like this, and like what I mean is long term, you, you want to ride it out and, and make sure everything's still good, even when things are bad. Um, you, you, I would just take it to the finish line if you can. Um, if something happens to him, knock on wood, during the season, I still think he's fine. We saw what happened with Kevin Durant. Um, but yeah, this roster isn't. It's uh, Milwaukee's in a really tough in a really really tough spot because, like you said, Sam, the the roster obviously clearly is not built for the postseason, which is when it matters and what's important to Giannis and any player of that ilk. And I don't know. I I just don't know if they have the pieces to go get that piece that would get them over the hump. What do you like? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, the the big thing for me is that Eric Bledsoe has been a good player. He's on 
a good contract. Like the his deal is only I think like four million guaranteed in 2022-23. So he really only has two years, like 35 million left on this. And he's a fine player. Yeah, he's a he's a fine player. And it's a totally reasonable deal. He is an all defense team member. He really keys their defense at the point of attack. His ability to get over screens uh, really helps within that drop coverage scheme because he can contest from behind and cause all sorts of issues. Mm-hmm. But they need more of an offensive threat at the lead guard position because it's to the point now where teams just don't guard Eric in the yep. playoffs. Like, they don't really care what Eric is doing, and that's a shame. Uh, and, and at the end of the day, it ends up maligning Bledsoe's reputation in a way to where people think that he's bad and he's not a bad player. He's actually like a really, really good player that is a very, you know, solid mid tier starting point guard in the NBA, mm-hmm. but it's just not going to work in Milwaukee. I don't think like if I was Milwaukee this summer, one of the things I would be looking to do is bring in some sort of scoring guard who can create his own shot off the bounce and can run pick and roll with Giannis, get Giannis easier shots, and hopefully uh, actually force defensive attention upon him. And it's hard to find that guy, I think. It's really, really hard to find who makes the most sense. Like, the the obvious name is Chris Paul, right? But, like, it's going to be really hard, I think, for them to make a deal for Chris Paul, just given the assets that they have and, and given the money, like it would take off the top of my head. How would I make that work? It'd be like Bledsoe, George Hill, Urson still doesn't Something even like that. It still doesn't even get you there. Money wise. You'd have to like, I think toss in like DiVincenzo then. And you'd have to toss in DiVincenzo into this deal anyway, because I think that, Oklahoma City would want more than the 24th pick to give right. up Chris Paul. Like, I think that they'll get better offers than Bledsoe, Urson, George Hill, and DiVincenzo or in 24. So it's going to be tough, I think. Like, is, is there a point guard out on the market that you think makes sense for them? So this is what I was going to ask you, and it goes back to what I was saying earlier in terms of, like, do they have the pieces to get it? done and what i guess what i mean by that i'd like to ask you how subtle of a change how subtle of a move does it need to be does it need to be a a a drastic big name get like chris paul or can it be somebody like derrick rose and that not just because i cover the pistons but he isn't score off the bounce he's good in the pick and roll Mm -hmm. i don't know if he makes others around him better and he can get a little he can get tunnel vision um, and I, I, we'll probably talk about that when we get to the Detroit part of this podcast. But if it's the, as subtle as just getting somebody in there that's going to put pressure on the defense and you can rely on to get buckets, I mean, Derek Rose is a name that's attainable. Um, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I like that one. I, I like Derek. I like that level of player. I don't know that I think Derek makes the most sense for them because I would want someone that can shoot. Like, right. I, I think that. If it's Derek specifically, teams are still going to be able to like pack the paint against Giannis in the same way that they do with Bledsoe. But at the same token, like 
even this version of Derrick Rose still gets downhill in such a real way that he would force further defensive attention than what Eric Bledsoe does. But I still don't really think it would be enough. I mean, like, God, Milwaukee fans are going to hate this, but like, I think Zach Levine, like, makes sense for this roster. I like that one. I like that one. That's a good one. I was going to make a joke and say Malcolm Brogdon. Um, yeah, that like it's been, f- that one's been done a few times. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's funny, like it, Brogdon makes a lot of sense, but like even a guy like Brogdon, teams like teams defend Malcolm as like a really good secondary ball handler. Yeah. Right. But they don't really fear Malcolm Brogdon either. Right. No, I agree. I agree. Like teams respect Zach Levine's offensive ability in a real way. You'd have to work around his defensive downside in like a very substantial way. Uh, but I think Milwaukee is the infrastructure to do that. In they would honesty. disguise that. They would disguise that, I think. And, and yeah. they would minimalize it. I don't know about disguise it. They would minimalize his shortcomings on that end. Yeah. And look, like it is hard to do stuff like that with today's like mismatch hunting conscious NBA. Uh, like teams are going to be able to try and get Zach Levine in a switch. Right. Right. But whenever you have the kind of length and help prowess that Milwaukee does with Brooke Lopez is like your backline defender and Giannis flying over from the weak side constantly. I kind of think that it makes it a little bit more palatable to have someone like that. Like I do actually think that Zach Levine is a better fit and a better player for this roster than Eric Bledsoe. Like you can maybe, I feel like advanced stats people are going to like scream at me for that Mm -hmm. because they hate (laughs) Zach Levine and uh, they think Eric is very underrated. And I think that those two things aren't wrong necessarily, but with the way that Zach can get to his pull up jumper, the way that he can get downhill and get to the rim, he's really improved with his efficiency and shot creation. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, if you just swap those two guys, like, I actually think Eric Bledsoe would really help someone like Kobe White develop by taking tough defensive assignments off of his plate and uh, doing things that way. And, like, look, I think that Milwaukee would probably have to toss something a little bit extra in because Eric's uh, Eric's reputation is probably lower than what the actual skill level is right now. But something around those two two isn't terrible to me like or milwaukee could try to keep eric bledsoe and do something like you know god i like but i don't want to give up divincenzo for zach levine either so like right. you know i have it's there's, tough. there's two there's no that that is tough i like that i haven't actually i haven't thought too much about levine um i like that one i could talk myself into it uh, there's two I want to throw at you, and they're both kind of extreme. And I, I, the likelihood of them happening are low. But if Milwaukee wanted to make it happen, maybe there's a way. I love it. I'll start. I'll start with. What do you think about Kyle Lowry? Yeah, One I year. mean, if Toronto is willing, that's great. If th- this is my somewhat logic, one year left on his from a Milwaukee perspective, one year left on his deal. You'll have a Giannis decision when that year is up. Um, he addresses the, the holes that we just talked about, and there's the pedigree there. You could send Bledsoe to Toronto, saves them money, and if they bring back Fred Van Vliet, I don't know how they look next to each other as much, but Fred can play off the ball. Um, and if they aren't able to bring Fred back, then they got, then they have a guy. Um, 
that's one that I, it seems very far fetched because I don't I think Toronto's going to honor Lowry the right way. Yeah, um, Let, let's but, let's take that one real quick. Um, yeah, go ahead. I, I don't think that would happen if only because I like you said like I think that Toronto is gonna gracefully handle this last year of Lowry's deal I mean if he would ask to be traded like that would be one thing right right but I think that team was really close this year like you look at the way that they fought against Boston and I think that they were actually a better matchup against Miami than Boston was so like they get through that game seven you're talking about an Eastern Conference finalist team that has the capacity to retain all of Lowry, Van Vliet, Siakam, Ananobi, and then re-sign Mark Gasol. Uh, plus still have Norman Powell there, who's a breakout guy this year. Plus still have Terrence Davis under contract and hope that he can take a next step. Uh, have, I believe, a full mid-level at their disposal. I think that they would think they can still compete uh, next yeah. year. So I, 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 I'd be stunned by that. And I was thinking if, I guess my process was, because I, I am a Detroit mode, if things happen with Van Vliet and he doesn't end up back, um do you see yeah just a different direction um mm-hmm. now another one and again well, i will fun. say this if van vliet doesn't resign it gets interesting for me there and yeah like i don't know again i don't know there's teams interested in van vliet so you just never know um yep. but yeah I, that would i think he would be a good fit if in the timeline works it'd just be interesting just to throw out crazy ones now another one i have is there a and this, eh, I don't know. Is there a weird CJ McCollum, Chris Middleton swap? I don't hate that. I I don't know if it makes Milwaukee better to get rid of Middleton. Yeah. I'm not like, sure. Like I feel like it'd be like you'd almost be moving Middleton because you're worried Giannis isn't going to resign, and you don't want that deal on your books. Like that would be right. the only reason. Like you'd be concerned about it, but I don't know that Middleton makes sense, but I like the name Chris Middleton for them. And Chris Middleton, by the way, would be like the absolute best fit with Damian Lillard as well. Like yes. that idea is not on its face bad. I'm trying to think if there's a way to, I don't really think there's a way to do it without including Middleton though. Like, I don't think that they take like, Bledsoe and Dante. No, and, I don't think so either. Like Urson to salary match, right? So, yeah. yeah, I don't know if I can. Yeah, I don't think I would move Middleton for CJ McCollum, but I don't hate the idea of Portland asking for that either. Yeah, and I'm with you. I, I, I that's why I was going back to how subtle of a move do you need it? Like, can you, can somebody like a Derek Rose and I'm just, again, I'm in Pistons mode or someone as subtle as a Derek Rose or a, uh, Luke Kennard. Um, is it that subtle of a fix where you just get a creator offensively that can work the pick and roll that can, in Luke's case, shoot the ball, or do you need to shake things up and bring in a guy that's one of the elite perimeter creators? Um, and maybe sacrifice, what Middleton brings to you, uh, which is a lot, but is it that's that does that shake up change the course of where Milwaukee goes? I don't know. Well, you could. The other name that I thought of was Mike Conley. If Utah didn't love like the way that that fit worked with Donovan Mitchell this year, and they want to hand off more point guard responsibilities to Donovan Mitchell, mm-hmm. um, I like that. 
the problem again comes down to like you would have to include Bledsoe in that deal and would Utah want Bledsoe? I know that Utah wants more defensive players uh, and defensively minded impact guys on that roster. Uh, Bledsoe does fit in that regard and only has one extra year of his deal in comparison to Conley. Uh, you could do a deal pretty easily uh, with Bledsoe Hill, Ilyasova, uh, if they see Bledsoe as a better fit than Conley. Uh, that doesn't, I, it, it would depend on Utah thinking that Conley is a particularly poor fit for what they want next year. Yeah. But I think Conley is the kind of point guard that makes sense here for Milwaukee is like, and plus again, similar to what you said with Lowry, he does expire at the end of this year, which means they are in alignment with when Giannis's contract is done. Yep, exactly. That, and that's one reason why I was kind of uh, gung ho when I, looked at that one and was like, oh, that'd be interesting. Yeah. I don't think I would do that if I was Utah, but I'm, like, I'm with you. I wouldn't. There there are weirder things, I guess, that have happened is the way to put it. Uh, <laughs> the final, I'm trying to think of like final moves. Like if Charlotte ends up with uh, one of the two guards, Anthony Edwards or LaMelo Ball, uh, and I think that they should select either one of those two if they're on the board. At number mm-hmm. three, I wonder if one of Terry Rozier or Devonte Graham uh, is available. That's a good and one. if they if they are, then either of those two I think makes some sense. Obviously, in the case of Rozier, I wouldn't want to like overpay. And honestly, I don't think I would want to overpay for either of these guys. But there is like a world where one of those two makes sense. I'm with Russell you. West. I- Russell Westbrook's another name that'll get brought up. I don't really see that as a fit for similar reasons to what we talked about with Derrick Rose, uh, just yeah. in terms of attack oriented guards. Right. Uh, same with Ricky Rubio, uh, who you know could theoretically become available. Uh, again, I think you want shooting and scoring. Is there any other name that comes to mind for you? There is, uh, but what Milwaukee would have to send back gets weird. Um, Spencer Dinwiddie. Yeah, yeah. We talked about Spencer to Philadelphia on the Atlantic one, but I kind of decided that I didn't think that New Jersey would, or Brooklyn, I'm sorry. Good God. Um, (laughs) Like, I I came up with a Spencer Dinwiddie for Josh Richardson deal because Josh Richardson is the kind of like wing defender that this Brooklyn team desperately needs. And Spencer's obviously the point guard that. Philadelphia desperately needs as like mm-hmm. a scorer and someone who can really attract defensive attention. But again, like I worry that Brooklyn sees itself as an NBA finals contender this year. So why would you help Milwaukee by filling its potentially most significant need? You know what I no, mean? That's a great point. And what would they do with Eric Bledsoe? Like I just, it just the, that fit seems weird too. I just don't know what Milwaukee would even send back that would interest. Because I think you can get something like you, like I, you can get something good for Spencer. Like that's not even a yep. question. Um, and I'm not sure that anything Brooklyn or that uh, Milwaukee really has would move the needle if Brooklyn 
as we all think is is going for a title this year. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, I, I don't really see the like Dante DiVincenzo probably doesn't work for them as well no. as he does for you know a, a team that's at a different stage. Even though Dante did prove himself as like a useful NBA playoff guy this year, yep. mm-hmm. um, I don't know that they would want Eric Bledsoe necessarily over Spencer Dinwiddie. Uh, you know, th- they can salary match that just with George Hill's deal. So like. Yep. You know, they could do George Hill in number 24 and, you know, X, Y, and Z. But I, I don't know that, that that doesn't make sense for Brooklyn either. So I, I don't know that that deal. And ultimately what we're kind of coming down to here is that it's going to be hard for Milwaukee to maneuver around with the pieces that they have in order to reshape this roster. I think that there are opportunities out there, um, but it, it's going to be trickier than what I think is recognized uh currently for them no i i agree i it, i'm very curious to see how they go about it because something's gonna get done um they have no I, I think they have no choice yeah um i'm very curious to see where they put all the which basket they put all the eggs in yeah i agree uh i think that there are some interesting potential moves out there but uh is there any like free agency move they they can't run this back like i feel like they need to make like changes kind of across the board on the margins in a real way like you know are they really gonna run back all of marvin williams kyle corver and pat Connaughton? like is there any lower level free agent that you feel like would fit into this roster nicely ah that's a great question um Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm trying to think, like, is there a lower level, like, I mean, is, they don't, they're not going to have the money for like a Goran Dragic. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I would imagine Miami will give him a big balloon payment this year. Uh, yeah. To retain him and maintain cap space into 2021 for the reasons of potentially going to look after Giannis and steal him from <laughs> yeah, <Milwaukee>. exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, there's there's guys. I just yeah. I don't know if anybody moves the needle. Like Jordan Clarkson, does that, does he move the needle? He helps. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, it's. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. There's, in terms of what they can do financially, I, I don't I don't know that anybody that makes that big of a dent because I I I have to see them all the time. Obviously, they're in the Central Division, and every year I think, man, Milwaukee's just so deep, and then it it just it looks different in the playoffs. So it's like there's guys out there, but I don't know if they're necessarily better than some guys they already have. And yeah, uh, no nobody comes to mind that I think makes major changes this year um, in free agency. One sneaky guy that I would take a look at if I was them would be Jamichael Green. Uh, okay. Probably wouldn't cost a crazy amount. But the reason that I like him is that he allows Milwaukee to play smaller by taking Brooke Lopez off the court. He's really versatile defensively uh, yep. in the way that he's not like a switch guy necessarily, but he can take a couple of slides and then like recover onto his man and hold up at the point of attack, at least in ball screen exchanges. Yeah. And he would allow them to play smallish while not necessarily 
forcing Giannis to take the beating that comes with guarding centers mm-hmm. all the time. That's like the kind of player I would look at as like a front court addition for them. Uh, someone that allows them to play smaller lineups that don't necessarily involve Giannis being like the primary five man rim protector, because I think he's best roaming and flying over from the weak side and protecting the rim that way. Uh, you know, I agree. I like that one. Yeah. Like each one more, I think is a name that makes some sense. I almost said that I, I would keep like, I'll keep saying this name. Like I think teams should take a shot on Damian Dotson. Uh, I, like what he does defensively. He has some pick and roll ability uh, as a secondary ball handler and can shoot. Uh, Dotson, I would imagine, would want to go somewhere where he can actually play potentially, but he's a flyer yeah. that makes a lot of sense to me uh, like for Dotson. teams to take. Uh, yeah, I mean, beyond that, like it, it's it's slim pickings. Like I think that they should probably bring back Connaughton if only because, you know, who else are you going to bring in, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, so, yeah, I mean, maybe you get a Langston Galloway. Um, I don't think DJ. I like DJ Augustine. I I, I still just see overlap there with maybe him and Divincenzo. Um, obviously he's more polished. I actually yeah, love I'm, that one. That's a really good one. Yeah, I I like DJ Augustine. Like I, I oh, think I, I meant Langston he, Galloway. I'm sorry. Oh, Langston. Oh, yeah, yeah. Langston is. I mean, that's a that's an alternative. Um, they're familiar. They've played them a bunch. Um, three and D durable. Yep. Um, put the ball on the floor much better last year than he had previously in his career. Finished at the rim a little bit better. Um, yeah, I mean, that's one and yeah, it's, it's slim. Like Jordan Clarkson's one. I, I don't, they're not gonna have the money for Clarkson. I don't think, um, maybe, maybe not. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's slim pickings. Let's move on. Let's go to Indiana. Uh, weird offseason for them, I feel like, because they have a lot of uncertainty in their mm-hmm. roster. Uh, they have to, first and foremost, they just hired Nate Bjorkgren as a coach. Yep. And I'm not going to sit here and like pretend <laughs> to have strong insights on what he's going to bring to the table. Uh, I do that know that... two of us. Right. Like, I, I do know that he is coached under some really great coaches including nick nurse and anyone who gets the nick nurse seal of approval is uh a positive step i think for me uh but again there's only one nick nurse in the nba so it'll be interesting to see what he brings i would imagine though that uh moving away from nate mcmillan in the way that they did they wanted to create more offensive uh creativity and foster more offensive creativity within this roster. And it gets interesting then because it's really hard, I think, to have that offensive creativity when you're playing two true centers in today's game with the Sabonis and Miles Turner. Yep. Yeah. And I, and if you're asking me, I think I, if one's available, I would guess it's Turner. Um, I like Sabonis. I think he, I like Turner too. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I like Sabonis's fit more with this, roster and what with what they have i think turner can bring you back something good um but i think that's kind of centrally aside from some i think nate is a great coach some of his flaws i I think centrally that was a big part of the issue is having turner and sabonis share the front court together 
um, clogging things up. And, I mean, if what T.J. Warren did in the bubble is real and we're going to see even 70% of that in the season next year, um, if, I mean, Brogdon, I, I think we both are big Brogdon fans. And we're, I'm sure we're going to talk about Aladipo here soon. But I, I think yeah. they're a good move away from being even more interesting interesting is the wrong word um no i think they it's can, right. they can like, yeah they they are interesting in a, in a in a very indiana way i guess is the way to say it yeah yeah like they don't really have a top you know 35 player in the league right now on this yeah. roster but they have a ton of guys between 35 and 70 right yeah. Uh, you know, Victor Oladipo, when he's fully healthy and when he's at his best, yeah, he's probably in that top 35 tier, but he's not. And Demonis Sabonis made the all-star game this year, but I, I don't, I, I'm not quite as high on Demonis no. as some, uh, Indiana fans are. Not to say that he's a bad <laughs> player. I think he's a really, really, really good player. Uh, I just worry about what you do defensively with him yeah. all the time. Uh, if he's your one true center and miles Turner obviously is, uh, if you're going to build around Demonis, Turner doesn't make as much sense. And obviously Brogdon is an awesome player and I want to see him continue to thrive, but he does have this checkered injury past where he does tend to miss, you know, 15 games a year. And that, yep hurts them and tj warren exploded this year in the bubble but uh how much of the bubble is real basketball it's it's a fascinating roster i mean like i've kind of sneaky been told that they've been doing due diligence on first round picks which makes me wonder if they're looking into potential moves that they could make uh despite the fact they don't they don't have a first round pick right now uh i believe that their first pick is 54 or something like that so uh you know, it's probably just doing due diligence in case the right move presents itself uh, for an Oladipo, for a Turner, you know, for someone along those lines. But uh, it, it's interesting nonetheless. And I think that you're right. Oladipo is kind of the centerpiece of this because he only has one year left on his contract. And they probably should try to move early on him if he's not going to resign there. I agree. I was actually going to ask you, do you think Aladipo starts the year in Indiana? I, I don't know what his value is. That's the, the yeah, that's the years. that's the big question, right? Because even in 2018-19, he was not quite what he was during the All NBA, you know, 2017-18 season, right? Mm-hmm. He he was a level below that. And I worry about what he looks like uh, going forward, coming off of all of these injuries. He obviously was not very good uh, this year to close the year in the bubble, coming back from the injury. And uh, even in the time that he played prior to the bubble, he was just not himself. If he can get back to himself, he's an awesome player he's a good defender he is someone who can create jumpers off of the pull-up like he is the kind of guy that milwaukee should be looking for uh to surround Giannis with but again i don't know that indiana wants to help milwaukee right now and i mean i I don't know if i'm milwaukee i'm pitting my hopes to victor oladipo uh 
coming off of injuries whenever that might be the tipping point between Giannis uh, resigning or not resigning, depending on who the guard is that you can bring in this summer. Yeah, I mean, it's such a, a fascinating dynamic because, I mean, it's the year he had the year Oladipo all NBA all that stuff how just how good he was and then for the injury to happen the injuries to happen and it and it kind of just his value plummet Indiana was in a very good spot just a few years ago now it's it's such a tricky situation because I mean that it seems like they still have goals of winning um I don't know I haven't read too much on if he I know he's been in Miami a lot. I don't know what that means. I think he lives there or whatever, but um, there's oh, there's been that chatter. But it's like they're right. They're a very good team, and you hold on to him and hope that you start to see what 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 once was, or do you do the somebody like Philadelphia, Milwaukee? Um, uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, we can name a couple other teams that do they bite and and you just try to add other pieces around what you got because like we said they have some good pieces and you can flip Turner and or Turner or Sabonis into something else good and then they still have if if Warren's real they still have interesting interesting things there to work with I I think they can make some moves I think they're going to be active I just don't know how to handle the Aladipo situation because one I have I'm not one to say what his value is I, I don't know I don't know what other teams around the league um, what what they would give up for him? I, I'm sure there's concern there. I would, I'm very much sure there's concern there. But if you're Indiana, do you roll the dice and see what happens this year and see if I guess maybe he's back to form and still even if he'll stay when the contract is up? Yeah, like I don't think that Miami can take him right now because I think he really would cut into their cap space for next summer. Uh, yeah. whenever they are like hunting for free agents. Uh, I mean, maybe they could get close if they took, cause they have this like Kelly Olenek expiring deal that right. they could use to make deals work if they wanted to. Um, and they obviously have the Iguodala money as well at 15 million yeah. for this year. I don't think that Miami's, going to look to bring him in right now based off of just cap mechanics, not necessarily based off of reporting. Um, right. I don't think they would mind bringing him in next year. It seems like based off of, you know, outside reporting, but it's, it's hard to find the landing spot for Oladipo too, because again, like you said, it's hard to determine what his value is. Like it's, the crazy one to me is that like if the Lakers really wanted to make a splash, like that's the guy, I think. Yeah. Like you could if yeah. you know, Danny Green's salary is expiring, it gets you pretty close to the approximate number for what you need to move for Oladipo. Um you know, is there a chance that the Pacers really would value like Danny Green, Kyle Kuzma in twenty eight or something for Oladipo? Because mm-hmm. like that could get that done. I like that. Um, I like that one. I'm not a big Kyle Kuzma guy, so like I think that the Pacers will get better offers, but it's not out of like the ballpark of value if you do like Kyle Kuzma. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, yeah, I agree. Dallas is another one. Like if 
Dallas is very interesting to me because they have all of these yeah. like mid-range salaries. Like you could combine Seth Curry and DeLon Wright and then number 18 and number 31. And that's probably not a terrible deal because it helps Indiana now and it helps them going forward into the future. I like that one. I almost said them and I, I, I think Dallas is in the position where they could do that trial run and see see what it's like. Yep. Um, and if Giannis doesn't work out and, the, and that situation doesn't come to fruition, that could be a, a, a damn good plan B um, already right there at your doorstep. Um, I yeah. really like that one a lot. And, and could clear like if they did Delon Wright and Seth Curry or something like that, as opposed to just the Tim Hardaway money, right? Yeah. Um, they could clear further cap space for the off season of twenty twenty one, whenever that is. Meaning they could have even further flexibility going mm-hmm. forward. So no, I, I I like that one. Yeah, and he's the perfect guy to play with Luka Doncic because yes. of. The defensive acumen, the shot making ability, the secondary creation. Like, if if I was Dallas, that would actually probably be my target this off season. Is I'm getting excited thinking about this one. Oladipo. I would love to see him on Dallas. Yeah. Um, this year. That that's the one for me. Like that that's that's the road I would be going down. And like if I would basically say, look, whoever you want is on the table here other than Chris stops and Luca. And, you know, we'll give you 18. We'll give, we can't move future picks necessarily because we have, uh, a deal with new New York that, uh, precludes us from doing so, but we can move you 18 and 31 after the draft ends. And we can, um, give you any of these role players on our team. And, I think that's pretty close to what the value that Indiana is going to get for Oladipo is just because of the uncertainty. Like a healthy Victor Oladipo is worth way more than that, but I don't know that the certainty is there. No, I I agree. And and I think, and that's why I, if I'm Indiana, like this is tough because it's, do you, do you, if there's a deal that presents itself now, do you do it? out of fear that it won't be there once he steps on the court and the value keeps dipping. And again, he isn't, he isn't expiring. Um, but I would, I would imagine any team that trades for him, there's going to be, they're, they're going to want a long term commitment or that's the plan of the trade. And most, I would say obviously in 90% of the cases, if there is a trade partners presenting to Dallas, um, I just, yeah, like, do you risk it and hope that he gets back to form and the value ups? You're, I don't think you're very much in a rush, but you do have to worry that there's a real possibility that the Victor Oladipo that we once saw is no more, and there's not going to be anything there when you circle back. See, and that's what's really interesting about the idea of trying to extend him within this deal, because... I don't think I would see him as like an extension guy. No, I don't think so either. Like is like an extended trade or whatever, or like, you know, there being like a wink, wink, you know, nod to him being re-signed and uh, in the following off season. Like 
I'd be scared. Like I'd actually want to do a trial run if I was an opposing team here. Uh, And like, if you're Indiana, like I would imagine you're probably looking for a lottery pick for Victor Oladipo because of what he can be. I mean, like, like Sacramento, you could maybe make a case for it. Um, Maybe Indiana is a big buddy healed fan. Uh, You know, maybe you could do buddy and, 12 because you don't like that buddy healed contract and maybe indiana thinks buddy healed is a little bit better than what some people around the nba do like i i like buddy healed i don't see that contract as being like disastrously underwater like some people do mm-hmm. um you know th- there are deals out there that you can finagle but like philadelphia is a guy is a team that's in the market like i don't see a world where philly can swing an oladipo deal because you know, Tobias Harris and Al Horford don't really make sense for this team. No. Um, you know, the Thunder are not going to be in the mix for this because they're the ones who moved Oladipo originally and uh, they're rebuilding. And, you know, I don't see Toronto as really being in the mix for an Oladipo deal uh, because just why would you do that unless Van Vliet leaves, but they still wouldn't have the assets then. So like, I don't know that the suitors are limited for Oladipo. Like, I, I think I saw that a report out of New York that the Knicks would consider this as an interesting way to get a star. And, you know, obviously the Knicks have the, you know, potentially expiring deals to get that done. Like you could, you know, guarantee Taj Gibson and Wayne Ellington and get to the point where you're good in terms of salary. Uh, I don't think I would give up eight for Victor Oladipo, though. Yeah, I wouldn't give up eight. Um, but what 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 I I'll say about New York, I think that is a good place for a tr- a, a Victor Oladipo trial run. Yep. Because I mean, there's obviously the chance that they could keep him, but there's just nobody outside of Mitchell Robinson to me um, that like I'm in love with enough that if Indiana liked a Kevin Knox. If Indiana liked uh, Frankie Smokes, um, that I I wouldn't I would, I would take that risk. Like I I'm I'm not in love with Kevin Knox. I'm not in love with Frankie. I like Frankie Smokes. I'm not in love. Like there's, mm-hmm. I, I think you could entertain something there. And if you lose out and it doesn't work out, I I don't think you lost too much. I think it's worth the trial run. But if if you're New York, not every team can do that. Like I don't think Detroit could risk giving up Luke Kennard to get Victor Oladipo and it not work out. Um but like New York I think would be the perfect kind of let's just see what happens. Let's take this gamble um type place for, for that type of move. Yeah, and let's just kind of push forward here. I mean, I don't know that Miles Turner gets moved this summer necessarily. I think that the new coach probably will try to see what these two have uh, with Sabonis and Turner. But, I mean, look, I I have not been a fan of this pairing from the jump in the starting lineup. I thought they probably could have tried to move Turner last offseason. Uh, I mean, or Sabonis, to be frank. Uh, I, I would imagine, though, that Sabonis is going to be their guy long-term at the center position. Is, is there a deal that makes sense out there for Turner or a team? Because it's just it's hard to move centers on big money. Yeah. 
I mean, the team that comes to mind that just it would be it'd be tough to get done is Boston. Um, their money is just so wonky that it. I mean, Cantor, Tice, and Lankford get you to uh, fifteen mil. Like, and you'd maybe throw in Poirier, like. I think Boston, you throw in a pick. Like, Boston has three first-round picks. Like, I like that fit. Um, yeah. Good rim protector, floor spacer. Young fits the timeline of Tatum and Brown. Yep. Um, I, I like that one a lot. And it's and because he makes 17 and a half, I think Turner is, like, it's, it's not super hard to get to. And Boston is one of those teams that there's just a lot of kind of dead weight at the end of that bench. Um, and some guys you can, if you got rid of Cantor and Tice, like I, 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 both are fine, but you would do that to get rid of Turner. And then you could throw in a Romeo Lankford who played at Indiana. Um, like there's, I think there's a deal that could happen there if Boston really wanted to get it done. Um, for, like, it's a good question. If you're Boston, do you think Daniel Tice or Miles Turner is a better fit? I do think I would take Turner. But mm-hmm. I think those two are closer now than what the public would probably buy. Like, I don't know that I would want to move Tice and 14 for Miles Turner. That's fair. I agree with that. That's that's fair. Uh, would you give up 26? I think I would want to keep Tice because I would want to have him as an option for late in postseason games where his mobility would really help. That's fair. Like, I think that Tice would really be like kind of a perfect compliment to Turner. Like if I was, if I was them, see, this is where it gets interesting. Like, could you do Cantor, Robert Williams, Poiray and 14? Like is no, but like, I don't know that they would want Robert Williams either. So like, and then they have Robert Williams too as someone who could replace like the Tice role. Yeah, and that that was my thinking with Tice is again we saw Robert Williams be good in like four minute spurts um, yeah. when he got out there, but there is similarity there. I guess it just depends on how badly Boston feels they need to address that that big role. And I, again, I I think Turner is a really good player, and I think he would address a lot of needs for Boston. And they are just a unique team that has picks that they I don't ever want to say a team doesn't need picks but I mean how many more late first round picks is Boston going to have sitting at the end of their bench and yeah if you could finesse Miles Turner and maybe cut some of that dead weight I I, I like that idea a little bit more now that I, I I kind of talk my way through it yeah I really like the idea of it as well it's just it's I can't figure out a way to make the money work in a way that makes sense for Boston yeah like it's it's tough to get like the dollar figures together for me. Yeah, that's a big issue with any Boston trade in general is just their contracts are so weird. Yeah. <laughs> they they really are. It gets it gets <laughs> yeah. very tough with them in a hurry. Um like I, I don't think that Gordon Hayward like I I assume that Gordon Hayward's going to be on Boston next year if only because of the relationships involved, but like I mean like could you do Gordon Hayward and Fort for like Turner and 
Jeremy Lamb or something like that, where like, like if that. you think Lamb is healthy, maybe you get that scoring punch off the bench that you desperately need. Uh, but like Lamb's coming off of a torn ACL early in 2020, like that probably doesn't totally work. Um, I don't know that Aaron Holiday is big enough for what Boston looks for. It's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's tough. That you're right. The Turner makes a lot of sense in Boston, but if I think I think if I was Boston, I'd just be looking for a way to keep Tice while also getting like another center. But or you could just take a center at fourteen too. That right makes sense. And, and like maybe he's not as good as Turner, that center. But you know, you could take a flyer on a Pakishevsky. You could do a lot of different stuff. Like the the Turner conversation is tough. Like Golden State, you know, they could just take James Wiseman, or they could try to do something with Miles Turner, where they get you know an additional asset or something with number two. Like I don't think I would do that necessarily if I was Golden State. Um, what do you is this could be a dumb uh proposal. I look at New Orleans for Turner. Um I it, I'd still I'm like intrigued to see by that. Yeah, like I Zion, I'm not ready for Zion at 5 um full time or a lot of time yet. Would you give up the 13th pick for Turner? Is that do they have enough cap space? They I believe they just to take that in, do they have? I have to check that. I mean, you could guarantee Darius Miller's deal. And yeah, you could. Yeah, yeah, you could throw in. Yeah, exactly. You could throw in Darius Miller. Um, I like Jackson Hayes. I don't know if he's not. He's not ready. Um, I think Turner's ability to space the floor is exactly kind of what you need to put next to Zion. Fits the timeline. Huh. Huh. I don't think they would do it because I think that they think Jackson Hayes is their center of the future. Yeah. I probably and, and I like Jackson Hayes a lot. Yeah, I I think I would. It's because like as long as you're going to keep Drew and JJ, you might as well go for it. Something. And I and think Stan makes that team is, interesting. Yeah, exactly. Like, That's a good fit. As we talked about, like Stan will space the floor well with Turner on offense, and he does like having like a true rim protector defensively. Yep. Would you give I, up thirteen if you're New Orleans for that? I probably would, to yeah. be honest. Um, and and like you said, it's a it's a perfect fit with Williamson and Ingram as well, mm-hmm. because yeah, late in games you could just throw Zion at the five if you need to. But also, you need someone who can space the floor for Zion at the five while also providing consistent rim protection to make your defense good. I, I really like that. Um, Should we get Griff on the phone? <laughs> see if we, again, see if, I don't think they would do it. Number somewhere. Yeah, I don't think so either. Um, and you know what? Maybe maybe it's instead of 13, maybe Indiana likes Nikhil Alexander-Walker or maybe um, – yeah. You know, maybe that's it. But 
there are a lot of circuit breakers to where that deal would make sense and could work. And I think that Turner is the perfect center for New Orleans for what they need. I, I actually love that move. Uh, yeah, personally. I wouldn't get hung up if if and and I think you make a good point. They could be hung up on the Jackson Hayes thing, um, but like to me, your your bread and butter, your house is built on Zion, and I don't see Jackson Hayes developing into that pairing with Zion anytime soon, if at all. Um, yep, Miles Turner is only four years older. And has proven he's pre, I mean he's a proven player. I don't know. I I think New Orleans has a good mix of veteran and young that with a, a kind of a a youngerish type guy that's proven that they could be interesting. And I and I do think he would fit like you said perfectly with Zion. Like that's the ideal type of guy that everybody was talking about. I think if Turner is available, like I would call around. Yeah. Um. They're free agents as well. They have one of the most interesting free agents this summer for me, Justin Holiday, if only because he's not so expensive to where he'll be out of the price range for mm-hmm. a lot of contenders. Like if Justin Holiday takes the uh, mini mid-level from teams over the tax, that wouldn't stun me. And I would think it's like an amazing deal for all of those teams. I, I am a, I'm a believer in Justin holiday being a very useful piece for a good contending team. I'm with you. I'm, I, I like Justin a lot. Um, I really liked the year he had last year. Yeah. He's, he's a ball player, man. Just one of those guys that it's so cliche, but like he's, he's the coach, like he's your, the coach's player. Like you can throw him in and di- different lineups He's just effective, just knows how to play the game. Good instincts. Like Justin Holiday could help any team. Not to the same extent as like Jeremy Grant, but he's that type of mold of player. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Um That's about all I've got on Indiana. Let's uh I think that we can probably buzz through these last three teams relatively quickly Detroit will cause a bit of a pause if only because of the Christian Wood thing and me having no idea what Christian Wood's value is so (laughs) maybe maybe let's go to Detroit because I think Christian Wood is maybe the most interesting free agent on the market this offseason because you could tell me he gets anywhere from like the mid-level exception to someone just like going absolutely insane and tossing like 17 million dollars a year at him aka which, the knicks yeah like seems <laughs> very dangerous given what christian wood has shown in his career so far but also seems like a real potential upside move mm-hmm. uh, being around the christian wood breakout this year like you were I have so many questions I, I just want you to explain christian wood to me because i still don't know where to fall on this whole thing <laughs> yeah, uh, the 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 short version for those not familiar, he was a guy that literally went from fighting for the 16th roster spot with Joe Johnson, um, G League guy, played overseas. A lot of questions about his immaturity. He had maturity issues. He he just didn't stick anywhere. Um, and by, by and the way, those those were real. Like even yes, those were very real. Those were yes. Real. Um, and yeah, that nobody ever questioned the talent. Um, 
there would be, I mean, you uh, the year before he got to Detroit, I think he New Orleans was, I mean, they were bad, and he was playing like the last 17 games, 11 games, and was putting up like great numbers, and like you could see that something was there. The front office, I believe, Malik Rose, who's no longer with the organization, I think he, Christian Wood, was kind of his, let's go get this guy. I mean, he's... He 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 worked his way into a backup role behind Drummond. A- added something that the team didn't have, especially with Blake being injured. Just a guy that could put the ball on the floor from the front court, could shoot the ball, was an aggressive aggressive attacker. Um, defensively, he would he would have mental lapses, but he was aggressive and he tried. And I think he if he improves on that end, like the I mean I think the sky's the limit for him. But Drummond gets traded, he gets thrown into a, a starter role, and his numbers just explode like some of the best numbers in the league for obviously a short period but i mean the guy was putting up 20 he was breaking his his game high scoring every other night um putting up mid 20s high 20s double digit rebounds shooting 30 something mid 30s from 3 i mean again it, it, he's a guy when you're detroit you rebuild to get guys like christian wood in your program and i think from what i've gathered and, and some of the people i've talked to there is interest in Christian Wood from other teams outside the league, even teams without cap space. I mean, I, w- I was told that Boston and Houston vers- vo- both tried to trade for him at the deadline and called multiple times. Um, and I would imagine they're uh, at least Boston's probably going to try to d- maybe work something out. Yeah, or at least I would say they're probably interested in him if they can figure out a way, maybe a sign and trade or something with him um, if Detroit wanted to move on. Uh, but I get the sense that Detroit is interested and – with Blake's uncertainty, um, they don't have a center right now currently. Um, they can play those two together for the time being. I think he is more of a four than a five. Uh, but Christian Wood, just he's a guy that has a very, very small sample size. But if you had to, like I did, sit there and watch every bit of that sample size, it's like, where in the hell did this guy come from? And I, I think Detroit is better off trying to find a way to keep him and I think he's grateful to Detroit for giving for them giving him his first chance and like I said you rebuild to find guys like Christian Wood and it would just be kind of a step backwards and I, I do think Detroit is probably worried about if is, is this real and like there's such a small sample size but they know the talents there and it, it, they don't stumble on possible upside like that all the time. Yeah. If you remember his pre-draft, uh he was someone that when the pre-draft process started he was considered like a potential late lottery, like top 20 pick. Mm-hmm. And by the time the draft process ended, he went undrafted. <laughs> if that <laughs> gives you any indication of the faith that teams had in his work habits and his maturity, everything like that. Mm-hmm. And it's like James said, the talent has always been there. And as he's been on this professional journey, the league has, if anything, gone further toward his direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, he entered the draft in, I believe it was 2015. That sounds right. Yep. And in those five years... The league is now looking for guys who are six foot ten, six foot eleven, have real mobility, can step over and block a shot, can sneakily play the five if necessary, can space the floor and knock down shots from distance, um, have some length, uh, and the ability to 
potentially defend on the perimeter. Like you said, I think his defense was pretty rough uh, (laughs) during his stint in Detroit even. But like you said, the talent has always been there and the league has moved closer toward him and helped him. It does make me think that I think if I was Detroit, I'd just, I think I would sign him. Like I've been thinking of him as someone for like a, a team to take a, sh- a team that has like the mid level that's contending to take a shot on and just like hope it's an upside swing or a team with cap space like Charlotte, I would imagine is probably mm-hmm. going to take a look at him if they don't end up with uh, James Wiseman in the draft. Mm-hmm. I think if I was Detroit, I'd just give him 14 million a year and pray. no no you're right and that's where i've been at like i've had i've had people tell me his range is from if it were a normal year maybe 15 to 18 and then there's people that think he's gonna just get the mid-level i would say this and i think detroit has been ho-hum on their interest in bringing wood back because of what it could do to them financially in terms of if they can bring him back for the mle he only counts as what is it 1.2 or 1.7 against their cap? Yeah, um, and that's massive for a team that has the third most cap space. They have 30 million in cap space right now, currently, or if they, they're they're third, I think it's 30. They're third most cap space right now going yeah. into the off season. They have a crazy for, amount. Like they can do yeah. whatever they want this summer. Yeah, and for a team that's, I don't think they're gonna full. They don't want to be doormats. I I know that. Um, if they make the playoffs with a young team in Blake and Derek, I think they're fine with that because you look at the the lottery odds um, with the new way that that the lottery set up. It's not really um, it's it's not secure that you're going to land a top pick now. And I'm sure I'd like I'm sure you would agree with me on this, um, Sam. If you're going to be bad, maybe the next two drafts are the years to be bad, and maybe even yep. like a top three or top four pick is fine. Um, the 2021 draft particularly, I think is the one to be bad for. Um, but the thing is that like, it goes pretty deep right now. Like you can, you can be at like seventh overall and you can feel pretty good about getting like a really high level player. Like I've been saying throughout the process that I think there are probably six or seven guys that would go number one in the 2021 uh, draft or in the 2020 Mm -hmm. draft from the 2021 draft. So, yeah, yeah, I think that it actually is like it behooves Detroit to be as bad as possible next year. And that does kind of feed into the next question. I know that I saw Zach Lowe and Bill Simmons talking about Blake Griffin potentially having a trade market this summer. Mm hmm. I'm intrigued by that. Like, if I could get off of Blake Griffin's money, I would do that if I was Detroit. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I uh, mean, that's – and me and Hollinger actually have a uh, – we went through a bunch of possible Blake trades, and that's coming out uh, Thursday. Is today Wednesday? It's coming out Thursday. So You're talking to um, the wrong person on that because I'm literally on the opposite yeah. side of the world oh, where I still yeah, haven't figured a, out the days. I was going to say, it might be Thursday. <laughs> are you ahead or are you behind East Coast? You might It already might be Thursday for you. Uh, it um, is Thursday for me. That is true. Okay. Then it'll be, if you're on the East Coast listening to this, or if you're in America, I'll say this, it'll be out Thursday. Um, I, so what I've been told, um, is that, again, like I said, the Pistons don't want to be doormats, even if it behooves them to 
be bad next year as a team that has better young players than they've had in recent years. I, I would say more interesting ones in Sekou, um, who for two weeks looked really good and then looked like a 19-year-old who's only been playing basketball for six years the rest of the way of the season. Yep. Uh, Bruce Brown is, I think, an NBA player. I don't yep. think he's a, a starter, but I think he's an NBA player. I think Svima Hailuk could I think the Lakers could have used Svima Hailuk in the playoffs this year. <laughs> um, so I think Svima Hailuk is a NBA role player. I think Luke Kennard is a really good NBA player. I don't know exactly what his ceiling is. I don't think he's an all-star player, but I think he's a 15-point-per-game scorer once if he can stay healthy and get it all together um, in terms of his health and, and improve defensively and stay on the floor in that regard. But offensively, he's got pretty much everything you want. I think Detroit – is still needing that face of the franchise moving forward. And it could be Christian Wood, and and, and that could be it. Um, But I think they need to – they're not going to trade Blake just to trade Blake, I don't think. Like, I don't think they're going to give up their pick just to get off Blake's money. From what I've gathered, like, that they are in no business of doing that because they know they don't have assets, very many that people want. Um, But if teams are – and I've been told Blake – I mean, he said it publicly to reporters that he's fine. I've, I've been told behind the scenes that they think Blake can help them win, which is what they want to do. They don't want to make crazy signings and, and cap and go back and cap jail when they just got out, but he think, they think they can help them win. But if there is a deal that makes sense for Detroit, Detroit will jump on it. And I actually – we do the beat writer mock drafts to – to kind of the the junior very very junior versions of the great stuff Sam does uh for us for us that cover shitty teams and have had nothing to do for 9 months um and I actually offered Blake this was to end of September I offered to Anthony Slater Blake for the Blake Wiggins deal that Simmons and Lowe talked about I offered it and I think that's interesting if if Golden State they're they're a team that probably is going to do a home run trade and if Blake's healthy I mean 2018 2019 Blake was phenomenal yeah. Um, and I don't want to spoil the whole story, but I think there's maybe Brooklyn could do something. Um, and then I have a weird one that I tossed to John for the Phoenix Suns that I think could be interesting. That's the team that I was going to bring up was Phoenix. <laughs> okay. uh, I think Phoenix is pretty interesting. I don't think I would do any of Cam Johnson or I mean, maybe I would trade Cam Johnson because I'm a little bit less high on him than some are, but I don't know that it would take Cam Johnson necessarily. Can I, can I tell you what I pitched to John? Yeah. yeah. And he didn't, he didn't love it, but he didn't hate it. It just, it, they have, I'll just say it. So Blake, just Blake, nothing yeah. for Rubio, Ubre, and Kaminsky. And that sounds like a lot for Blake, but Phoenix is right behind Detroit in cap space and could go get Fred Van Vliet. Ubre's, Ubre is a good player and he could get you probably uh, maybe even the number two pick um, if you want to trade him to the Warriors. But if you could, if you're telling me that Phoenix has a chance at rolling out a DeAndre Ayton, Blake Griffin, Mikael Bridges, Devin Booker, and Fred Van Vliet lineup next year, I think Ubre is a little more expendable if that's what it comes to. I don't. Maybe I'm crazy. I don't think that they can do Van Vliet if they do that deal. I like. I think that Fred's going to get more money than that. You think Fred will get a twenty? You think yeah. Fred will get twenty? Okay. See, I, I do. 
I think he's going to get I, more than 20, to be honest. Do you? Okay. So then I see I'm in the camp of like 18 to 20 for Fred, but I, you would, I, I would take your word over mine. I, yeah. There are just going to be too many suitors. Like Phoenix is a suitor. Like, and if I was Phoenix, I would pick Fred over Blake. Yeah. So like Phoenix would be the suitor there. New York, I think is very obviously going to be a suitor. Toronto wants to keep him. So he's actually one of the few guys this off season where I think there is a genuine bidding war where the number could get like out of hand. You know what I mean? Like I, I, yeah. I personally don't think I would want Fred Van Vliet for more than look, if I was the Knicks and I was trying to build a culture and I was Phoenix and I think he's the perfect fit next to Devin Booker. Like, I guess I probably would be mm-hmm. willing to like pay 22, 23 million a year because I think that those situations make sense. But like in a vacuum, I wouldn't want to pay Fred Van Vliet more than like 18 a year. Like I agree with you. I think that that number is right. Okay. If you're, and that's the thing. And when I was doing the trade, I was trying to find a way for Phoenix because Detroit has a ton of cap space to shed even more just to shore themselves up and still do that deal. But once you get past Kaminsky, Mikael Bridges isn't going in that. Cameron Johnson's not going in that. I mean, and Ty Jerome and Ty Jerome doesn't make enough money to make a dent in it. Um, and by the way, like I, I don't know that I would do that deal if I was Detroit either. Um, I, I like really? I think Kelly. I think Ubre's fine. I think Ricky Rubio is a good player, but like then you have to move one of Rubio or Derrick Rose because those two can't play together. Like and I yeah no I agree but I'm working under the with that deal I'm working under the assumption that Detroit is ready to finally embrace a rebuild right and you could flip Ubre who is I think could help a good team at the deadline if you want or if not that money there's 14 million that comes off the books next year that you weren't going to have and I think there's going to be a market for Rose and or Rubio and then whoever oh, I, you draft yeah so yeah I, I, I think that's my next question is Derek Rose so right. yeah yeah I just think from an asset accumulation and again I understand not wanting to be bad when you've been bad for a decade but you there's a difference in being bad when you've been trying to be good and being bad when you finally have the freedom to be bad and you have young players and you can build from the ground up. Like I, I, they don't have to be. You can throw out a bunch of young players, and if you make the playoffs, you make the playoffs. Like that's great. That's totally fine. If you don't make the playoffs, that's that's fine too. But I, they, Detroit finally has a, a a start to build from the ground up. Yep. And I, I just think that window can come and go with decisions trying to chase the playoffs and signing Fred Van Vliet to me. I don't know. I'll ask you, Sam, if the Pistons get Van Vliet, does Van Vliet maybe would because you'd have to get wood at that point for the MLE, which we don't know is possible. Does, can you bank on a, a Van Vliet, Christian Wood, maybe Blake Griffin, Luke Kennard, Derek Rose team to stay healthy enough to make the playoffs? I just, I, you, I don't think anybody would bet money on that. I, I don't know that I think they're good enough to make the playoffs. And then there's that. Honest. Yeah. Then, like, in yeah. The you know what I mean? Yeah, the East is going to be sneaky good next year. Like, exactly. So I just don't with the see top an, eight, at least that is. Yes, I agree. I just don't see an avenue in which Detroit can be sig- significantly locked in as a six seed or better in the next two or three years 
So, and you don't have to yell out rebuild to your fans so they go to games. I understand that. But it's like, I just think this is the, they were granted, the Cleveland Cavaliers bailed them out with the Andre Drummond trade. And this is the perfect time yep. to start from the ground up. No, I'm with you. So, I, yeah. I, I would not move for Fred Van Vliet if I was them. Uh, I think that if anything, what Fred represents is incredible. And he is like the best culture guy to have around for Perfect. a rebuilding team. Yes. But I, it's not I, I, I don't sign. Commitment. Yeah. Like uh, if I'm Detroit and I don't have really, frankly, any young players that I feel confident in. Um, like in New York, at least I have Barrett and Mitchell Robinson to where like Fred can play with them and help them develop Detroit. Right. Like I like Seku. I don't love him. Like, I think that there's a wide range yeah. of outcomes there. Potentially they're going to yes. get the number seven pick, uh, you know, someone like Isaac Okoro or a really good point guard. Like I'd probably just rather take like Killian Hayes or Tyrese Halliburton and yeah. develop that guy. So no, I'm, I'm we're in lockstep and I, I think it'll play out that way. They're saying things publicly and not publicly like where they want to compete. But I, I, there's obviously you got to per, per, perpetuate a message. I, I, I just don't think they look at the roster and see a Fred Van Vliet gets us to where we want to go yeah. anytime soon. I just don't see it. Yeah. And you brought up Derek Rose. I think Rose is a really interesting guy to talk about here as well. Um, a guy that makes a lot of sense in a lot of different places. Like if Boston could get him and bring him off the bench for mm-hmm. their scoring punch that they so desperately need. Uh, that's like an easy deal for Boston to do. They could do, you know, 26 and 30 plus Cantor and Poiray for yeah. Derek Rose. And like, and if you're Detroit, you get two first round picks. Like that's a huge win, I think. I'm, I'm, I agree. I, I think if that deal is offered, that that's a no brainer in my eyes. Yeah, and if you're Boston, you're getting off of the Poirier and Cancer money, which is really helpful for them. I think. <laughs> yes. So, and how many more? Like, yeah, how many more Romeo Langfords can you have on your team? Yeah. Not to say that Romeo can't develop into something, but like I said earlier, I mean Boston at, at a point. Danny Ainge has to cash in. Like you can't just have all these young late first round pick guys just sitting at the end of your bench. Yeah, and maybe it's not Poirier and can't, or maybe it's not uh, twenty six and thirty. Maybe it's twenty six and you know Carson Edwards or something yeah. like that. Like, yeah, that's a deal that makes a lot of sense to me personally. I, is, I love that one. Um, Boston shoring up its backup point guard spot with Derrick Rose. Um, the- you know, trying to think of other fits here that make sense. Um, I yeah, I mean, like from a free agent perspective, like I think Detroit should take flyers on guys. I don't know if yeah. people find this part in like Harry Giles, Harry Giles, Harry Giles. I can never say his last name. Like I think yeah. that's a guy they should go after. Agree. Yeah, just just go for young guys. Go get flyers. Build this from the ground up. Um, the Clippers are an interesting spot for Rose as well. I would say. Yep. Um, if they just want to like change things up, right? Yes. Uh, in terms of like the locker room, there, like that's it, interesting. No, I, I think that's a good one. And people toss around the. I don't know where. It, I think somebody reported. Uh, I don't necessarily know how 
true it is uh the kuzma for rose i just don't like i know a lot of people don't like kuzma and i'm not the biggest kuzma fan either um even though he is from flint so I, there's always a level of respect there um i <laughs> i still think that's too much i don't know how you feel like would you rather have kuzma or rose if you're the lakers i would rather have rose if i was the lakers um but part of that will depend on what rajon rondo does too yeah um, like if Rondo was to leave, I think that that makes a lot of sense. Do something like Der or uh, Kuzma and one of those opt-in guys for Derrick Rose. Like I think that makes every bit of sense to me. I guess yeah. In my mind, I f- I feel like, and you can correct me, please do if you think I'm wrong. Like I just I just feel like even though I don't love Kuzma, like I just feel like you could get something that like a little bit better than possibly one year of Derrick Rose. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm probably wrong. You might be able to. Like, the thing with Kuzma is that he can be a sweetener in a bigger deal. Like, you can do Kuzma in 28 in Danny Green if you want to move off of Danny Green, and you can Mm -hmm. get someone up to, like, $21 million a year. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm thinking. Like, I I feel like there's a – as much as Derrick Rose – could help them and is still a good player i feel like there's a package there to get you something more substantial um than rose who is getting up in age and does have injury concerns and is um yeah i'm not he's a scorer like that's just that's what he does and that's what they need but i i I just wonder if there's maybe a better option if you package some things the other guy here is luke Kennard. like yeah Kennard obviously was almost dealt at the deadline, according to reports from Adrian Wojnarowski. I, I believe that mm-hmm. you've also like confirmed that, right? Yeah, I, yeah. I, it was right before. I think it was right before Woj. I put that he was on the trade block. I didn't know the Suns thing. I confirmed after Woj. I didn't know Phoenix though. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You wrote, I think, like a week beforehand that, or no, it was, it wasn't even a week. It was like a few days beforehand that Kennard was actually a candidate to be moved. And I was pretty surprised by that. And then here it came, you know, down the pike that Phoenix was particularly interested. I think you can make a case that Kennard is one of the guys like Milwaukee should really be looking at. But Mm -hmm. if you're Detroit, I don't really have a problem helping Milwaukee in this circumstance. I just don't know that Milwaukee has the guy to get that deal done. Like, I'm not taking Dante DiVincenzo for Kennard. Like, I'd rather have Kennard, I think. I, I think that's a great point. And I, I, I'm, I know that Milwaukee has had interest in Kennard for at least a year. Um, and people remember the Milwaukee obviously handled business, but the year Blake was all NBA Milwaukee and Detroit played in the first round. And Kennard was, I mean, he had high teens early. He was a leading scorer for the Pistons in a play in his first playoff series. Yeah. That was um, like a they, bust out moment for him. It was. And then he followed that up last year with, with he was on a pace to average 15 and four, I think before he got injured. But then there's, there's that concern with him at to be 24 years old with bilateral knee tendonitis. And um, he's, he's, uh, due to get paid next year, his rookie deal ends yep. um, after this season, and I got, that's another guy. Like, if he stays on the floor, his value is very, very high. I think not very, very high, but it's it's very high. But if there's injury concerns, like his what he gets next year, if he comes back and is healthy, and if he's not healthy, like I'm very curious to see the dichotomy of what Kennard could get 
in uh, restricted free agency. Well, that that's another question I was going to ask you. Like, do you think there's a chance Detroit looks to extend him this summer? I think they offer him something because he is a good player. He fits the timeline. I, from what I've gathered, I think. I don't know. I don't want to say that. I wouldn't be surprised if the two sides are further further away in value than maybe people think. Um, Kennard does everything you want in today's NBA, and you could make a case for him getting like eighteen mil a year. Yeah. But the issue is in in the the idea of Kennard. The issue is he's been hurt every year. His first year, he had a, a minor foot injury. He didn't miss too many games. But the second year, a shoulder injury, missed 14 games. And last year, he didn't. He, his last game was the bef- day before or after Christmas, and he was set to come back before the lockdown. So the idea of Kennard and when we, what we saw from Kennard last year and in the playoffs is like, yeah, this is a guy you would pay 16 to $18 million a year for. I, I think Detroit might be worried about the health going forward. I don't know if they're worried. I don't know if they, they they definitely wouldn't say it publicly, but I think that's something they have to keep in the, the back of their mind. Yeah, look, everyone that I've talked to across the NBA is concerned about his health going forward. I, I don't think that that's an unfair sentiment at the end yeah. of the day. Like, I, yeah. I don't think we're speculating out of turn here. You know no, what I for mean? Sure. Yeah, no, yeah, for sure. And it's like, obviously, he was there was a concern enough that they got down to the almost what appeared to be the wire in a trade for Phoenix. You know what I mean? So. Yeah, there there is concern there, but I know that they like him a lot, as they should. Uh, but yeah, they're in a weird spot where, and he might even. I mean, let's be honest. This is the guy that is the third all time leading, or second, or maybe he's in the first. He's first, second, or third. He's above LeBron in Ohio scoring in yeah. high school. He went to Duke. He's been in Detroit. This might be a guy that I mean, he might want to start trying to win soon, and maybe uh, some of that smoke is. You never know. Maybe that's. Um, coming from both sides. Man, if I was Kennard and I had a four-year, $48 million deal on the table with like a player option, maybe, after year three, I could get that this summer. I think I would probably do that. But I probably yeah. have very different uh, you know, thoughts on wanting cost certainty and money certainty than he does. Maybe Um, being able to guarantee yourself 40 million, like almost $50 million in your career. Whenever you have the injury history that he does, that would be a fair deal to me. And if I was Detroit, I think I would do that just because of the upside and because of the potential for it to go really, really right. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I don't, I don't know if that'll actually happen. I'm not convinced that'll actually happen. Yeah, I'm w- I'm with you. It's it's going to be how that situation is handled or what ends up being done with that. I'm I'm very curious to see. And if he doesn't resign or extend, I'm sorry. Uh he will be this 2021 season's Bogdan Bogdanovich where everyone looks at him as the guy yes. to trade for. Uh, he will be one of the more attractive players on the market. There are more expiring deals this year, which might dilute the value a little bit versus Bogdan Bogdanovich, where he was one of the main assets that was acquirable at the deadline this year. But 
teams will see him as a potential option to acquire at the deadline uh, and see it as very interesting. And he will have an inherent market because the money is so easy to make even uh, at $5 yep. million this year. Um, let's move on. The Pistons are yeah, actually we- <laughs> more interesting than I thought they were. I don't know if you go that long if you don't have the Pistons writer on on this podcast. Like, if there are any other teams, you guys are probably just breezing through that. You know what, though? Like, Christian Wood is maybe the most interesting free agent this year. They're yeah, one no, of the teams fair. that have the most cap space. They have this Blake Griffin situation. They have Derek Rose and Kennard. Like, it's it's They could weird. go many different ways. Yeah, they have a lot of options yes. at their disposal. And I think Chicago also has a lot of options at its disposal, but those are all trade avenues. Right, like yes. Otto Porter, Zach Levine, Thaddeus Young, Tomas Sadoransky, um, you know, even to an extent like Larry Markin and Wendell Carter. Like no one on this roster, I feel like, other than Kobe White, should feel totally safe about where it stands, given that they just hired a new general manager uh, in Arturus Karnasovas. I agree, um, but what this team to me is the most interesting, aside from. All right, maybe interesting stuff. I'm I'm very intrigued with Chicago um, because, like you said, I don't think anybody is safe, maybe except Kobe White. But I think that this new front office is going to – I think they're going to run this back this season because of how disastrous the Jim Boylan situation was. Yeah. Um, because – and I, I think Sam, I think you'll agree. Like, I really like Wendell Carter and Laurie yep. Markkinen. Um, and the step backs they took last year, I'm going to put more on how they were coached than them as players. Um, I like Levine. I don't love Levine, but I like Levine. I like Kobe White. Um, Otto Porter is, I think, a fine player. I don't know if Chicago's the right situation because we just haven't seen the guys develop but i think Otto porter is a, a fine player um i think that if they wanted to they could make some pretty significant trades and either become more of a playoff con- a more i guess a more sure playoff contender but contending for the playoffs i mean or they could go the other way and just kind of get these get rid of the old guys and get build this new regime allow them to craft this team the way they want. Uh, but I think it's in their best interest to at least run it back a year and see who you have um, that you would want to keep around for a year or keep around going forward. So with the young guys, yes, I agree. Um, I would definitely run back Kobe White. I would probably run back both of Markin and Carter, although I'm not quite as high on that pairing as yes. you seem to be. Uh, I don't love it defensively. Um Lowry is yeah, mobile. Yeah, I don't love it. I, yeah. I like them more individually, I should say. I'm sorry to cut you off. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I like them individually. I don't love them as a pairing. Um, you know, Chandler Hutchison, I don't just think he doesn't have a ton of value around the league. Yeah. Um, I probably would want to see what Zach Levine looks like as well. Uh, if I got real offers for Otto Porter, Thaddeus Young, Sadoransky, um down the list... I would probably be willing to entertain those in a pretty mm-hmm. real way. I, I think that that's where I fall. Like I would move all of the vets if I could. 
And I would probably keep the kids to see how this works. And I'd probably keep Levine as well, because uh, unless like a team like Milwaukee or someone like that bowls you over with an offer or unless, you know, an- another team that I think you can make a weird case for on Levine is the Lakers. Um, mm-hmm. Like you can just use the Danny Green money to match and then you could do 28 and Kuzma, if the Bulls like Kyle Kuzma again, like. I have a lower opinion of Kyle Kuzma than what some people in the league do. So like, it's hard for me to get a gauge on where everyone else is on his value. Um, Mm -hmm. But like something like that, where Chicago could open up its books a year earlier, could, um, you know, get a strong player with Danny green who can really help these guys mature and um, could get a couple of young players. Like that's interesting to me at least, but Again, like, I, I don't know that Levine, from a defensive standpoint, even makes sense from what, like, Frank Vogel is going to be looking for uh, from a contending <laughs> Lakers team either. So uh, I think that I would probably keep all these guys around and then look to move Porter. I, I'd be pretty surprised if Thaddeus Young was on that roster next year. I think he's the one where I look at it and I'm like, all right, they totally fucked this guy's career up. If I was him, I'd want to bounce. <laughs> yeah. No, I, we're in lockstep. Like I, to me, I'm running a year. I'm running it back a year with Markin and White Carter. Like I, those guys, I see too much talent to like. I would want to observe them up close and personal. Like I'm Sadoransky. I like Sadoransky, but he could go Levine. I like Levine, and I would probably run it back with him too. But if there, yeah, if, if there's a deal there, I would do it. What do you? Is there a, like a Levine? Do you like Levine on Utah? I think that Utah wants to hand over the reins to Donovan in a real way to where Levine wouldn't make as much sense there. Um, okay. Like I, just given how much Levine likes to handle the ball. Yeah. I don't know. That would seem like an unnecessary complication for what seems to be a somewhat tenuous situation there in general with Mitchell Gobert and a team that didn't quite succeed to the level that they wanted to this year. That's fair. Uh, I I don't know that I would want to add that like firework to it. Um, if I was Orlando, I, I would really like Zach Levine. Um, I like that idea. If I was, oh man, it's it, it gets a little bit tricky trying to find the money that works with him. Like I could see it, like Levine in my mind feels like a like the Knicks miss out on everybody else. Like let's yeah. go get Zach Levine. That's a really good one. That's a really good one. To be honest, I'm trying to. I'm trying to think of a Hawks one. Yeah, I don't think I would trade any of Herder, Hunter, or Reddish for him. I wouldn't. Just because the money is like, I, I'd rather have those guys for eight years than have Levine for two. Yes. Um. Yeah. Sneaky, a guy that's sneaky, like I would love to see what Miami would do for him. Because he is a guy whose work ethic is, like, reputed to be unbelievable. Like, just an incredible worker. 
but obviously has never been forced to like have defensive accountability in his life. And Miami <laughs> would force that. Yes, no, 100%. And I, I think from a culture standpoint, Levine has always needed culture. Um, I think that's a big – like you said, I would like to see him on a team like a Miami, like a Spurs, a team that is has a built-in fabric that this is what you do, our way or the highway, and I think he would adjust. I think he needs good veterans around him. He really hasn't had that um, – yeah, I think he's just been a guy that's been able to everybody every each team he's been on, he's been the best player and everybody knows he's the best player and everybody around him is as young or younger and he's just yeah. been able to do what he wants and I would love to see what that person would look like in a team with somebody like a Jimmy Butler or a coach like a Pop. Um yeah, uh I I think that would be I think that would be interesting. Is there a the, now again Denver's defense would take a hit here, but would you do a Gary Harris Levine type deal if you could find something? I don't know what else Denver would have to throw in. I probably wouldn't, given how much Murray and Jokic already handle the ball. Plus, you have the impending Michael Porter situation. Yeah. Uh, that seems like too much overlap. You're right. Yeah. But it, it's hard to find like a contender that goes for it. That's why I brought up the Lakers. Like that's the contender, like where I think you can make the most sense for it. Like maybe, maybe the Clippers, like maybe cause I saw, saw a report yesterday. I forget by who that Kawhi would like to have a point guard. It might've been in, um, Jovan and, uh, Joe Varden's story that I read. Yeah, it could have been in that. I, I did see that too. Um, over at the Athletic, and is there a world where maybe that's their like pseudo point guard that they go out and get for more offensive firepower, even though they don't really need a ton more offensive firepower? Yeah, I think that I think you're right. I think of the bad um, team or deals I threw out there. L.A. makes the most sense. Um, yeah, both of them make fits. sense. Yeah, no, both of them make sense. I, I like that if it's going to happen. I don't think Miami does it. I don't like. I don't think they need him. Um, but L, I could both LAs need a player like that. Um, Thaddeus Young. Like I, I just keep circling Portland is the team that makes the most sense. Yes, I'm with that. Like get them a wing that won't cost a crazy amount in terms of asset value. Um, yeah, like you you could do that deal. Pretty simply, you could like have the Ariza opt in plus, you know, a small asset. And that yeah. makes sense to me. I think of all the deals we've talked about, I would almost maybe, if I had to bet money on one of them, I think that's one that I think could happen. Yeah. It just um, seems too perfect of a fit. It does to me, too. Like, it just makes a lot of sense to me uh, for yeah. them to go after a guy like Young. Um, Sadoransky's guy I think would fit in a lot of different places. I don't know that we need to dive deep on that. Um, I don't think I want to dive deep on like a Lowry Markinen move necessarily, just because I don't see yeah, that as being a that. thing. The the last, you know, maybe, you know, what do you do with Chris Dunn? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, he does have, a, I think that the qualifying offer is like $7 million, And 
I think if I was him, I'd probably just accept that number because I don't think he's going to get more than like, you know, four million or so. Uh, mm-hmm. For me, Dunn was the best defensive guard in the NBA last year on a per minute basis. Uh, just his ability to wreak havoc across the floor is insane. He can Absolutely switch on to multiple insane. different players. Like he's disruptive at every agenda. It's like him and Marcus Smart, like those two guys. Like I watch them and I'm like, holy shit, these guys just look like they're miserable to play against. Um, <laughs> it's, I've seen him give hell to like when Bruce Brown had to play point guard for the oh Pistons God. for a little bit this year. And that, you just feel bad because it's, it's, I mean, that's not Bruce's natural position, but I mean, he just does that to anybody. And that's a culture guy, you know, Um, there's, I I think there's some probably, I don't know if there's still questions about Chris Dunn. Like, I don't know about maturity stuff. I haven't followed too closely, but I feel like there were at one point early in his career. Um, But in terms of on the floor, like that's one guy, I mean, that is young to, to, to an extent that, that sends a message on the floor with his style of play um, that I think Chicago I, th- I think they're better off keeping keeping around if they can. Yeah. And Porter, again, like this is a guy that would make sense a lot of different places, but the money is very difficult to match at $28 million. Mm-hmm. Um, And by the way, like I think Porter is the kind of player who really helps their young guys as well because he's that yeah. connective piece between Kobe White and Wendell Carter and Lowry Markinen. He can slide between the three and the four. You can play a lot of different lineups. Like if I was Chicago, I probably would just keep him unless someone like bowled me over with a first round pick. I'm with you. I, li- I like Porter on the right team. Um, yeah. And this, this team on paper and with some years is the right team, but it's, they're too, they're not, they need to get down the road a little bit more. Yeah. Porter next year is going to be a guy who like signs for 15 million or whatever and mm-hmm. really helps a contender i think yep. like really really helps a contender but you know he's taken this sojourn to chicago and just wasn't the right fit at the right time i don't think I maybe agree. he'll maybe he'll prove that wrong this year that'd be great um yeah. cleveland's the last team i <laughs> <laughs> i they're in such a weird spot. Like I don't really see Kevin love as having a ton of asset value because unlike Blake Griffin, Kevin love still has uh, an extra year on Mm -hmm. that deal. (laughs) Yeah. Andre Drummond, (laughs) like for the love of God, don't extend Andre Drummond. Just please. (laughs) I'm begging you, please don't extend Andre Drummond. Like you already have $42 million tied up in love and Nance. You don't need to tie up another $20 million in Andre Drummond. And there's no way they do, right? Like, it's not like they have to show to their fans, like, look, we won this trade. They gave up nothing for him. You don't like, if it's not going to work, it's fine to let him go. Or trade them or let them. Yeah, just, I, I would advise as well against extending them. Yeah, I mean, I'm just like kind of looking through Chris Fedor over at Cleveland.com did an interview with Drummond today and, you know, brought up that, uh, you know, ba- basically didn't say anything of value. Um, there, you know, I think that there's probably. I don't even know that I want to say that there were extension talks, but like, I have no idea. 
Um, he refused to answer if he's going to pick up the option, which if he doesn't pick up that option, I, I can't. He has smart agents. I know he does. Um, they <laughs> yeah. won't let him not pick up that option at twenty nine million next year. Because no. what do you think Andre Drummond would get on the open market right now? Oh man, I've I actually. It's been a while since I've revisited this conversation, but it's one I, I had a lot a, a lot of in in January. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. Does he get more than like nine million? Does he like the MLE? It would depend on if Charlotte got involved. I think. Yeah, that's the only team that for me would. Yeah, take it up like, a bunch. I think Charlotte could go like to fourteen, maybe. And me think, okay, that's not a great deal, but I understand what you're doing at least. Yeah. Um, I'd rather give fourteen to Christian Wood though. I probably would too. Um, yeah. I think I would, but. The problem is that Drummond has been talked about as this elite level player for a long time and has made multiple all-star games. I don't think he envisions himself as a $14 million player and he's going to have to uh, come down, I think, from that level. And especially if he enters the market this year, because there are a lot of replacement options. The center market is not... um, not scarce this year. Derek nope. Favors is a potential option. Marcus Gasol and Serge Ibaka are potential options. Um, you know, you can go up and down the list. Like, uh, let's see here. Who else is a potential option? Uh, Montrezl Harrell's potential option. Christian Wood, obviously, as we've mentioned, is a potential option. <laughs> Derek Favors. Yeah, Aaron Baines, Tristan Thompson, uh-huh. um, Hassan Whiteside is a potential option. Like, th- these guys Jason are. Plumley, yeah. Yeah, like, look, Andre Drummond is probably better than most of those guys. Right. But is he so much better than those guys that you're going to pay him $8 million a year more than them? No, I don't no. think so. So No, you're right. Um, I would also say, back to like what we were saying about Levine, I would like to see Drummond in a culture setting. Um, yeah, I, I think Drummond's... Big, I don't. He's not a like he's a super nice guy. Um, I, I, like he doesn't have character issues. I would say the biggest flaw to Andre Drummond is Andre Drummond wants to be something he's not, and it hurts. It's hurt his value each and every year. Like I understand wanting to expand your game um, and try to catch up. The issue is he did it six years in, seven years in. Um, and him bringing the ball up court, trying to shoot threes, the finger roll finesse layups instead of dunking. I, I, I just, I always go back to this. He, he had a, um, a blog show that he did, um, when he was with Detroit. I don't know if it still goes on, but he said, he called it, he's like in the introduction, it says, I'm Andre Drummond forward for the Detroit Pistons. Right. That always sticks with me because it kind of just sums up when you watch Andre how he envisions himself in his mind, but how the rest of the league would like to see him play. And if he just was able to do the things he's really good at and just did them and was fine with just doing them, I think we're having a different conversation, not much different, but about his value. 
Um, I think there's worry there that because he tries to do too much that he's just that he doesn't lead to winning basketball. No, I think that's 100% right. And even over the course of the last couple years in Detroit, you saw like a little bit more of a focus defensively, but it wasn't quite enough. It would come and go, yeah. Yeah, the the reliability there was not real. We've seen him in the playoffs uh, a couple of times now, and it just hasn't gone well. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, in the playoffs, he's a 20-minute-a-game guy at best, and you, yeah. I don't think you can pay that guy more than $12 million a year. Um, I wouldn't pay him $12 million a year, personally. But I'm, I'm with you. Um, anything more than that is like a bad deal. And I, I, <laughs> his free agency in terms of like what the come down is going to be like, I think we're going to hear some wild statements about what he thinks his value is. Yes. Um, yeah. Like I, I was under the impression that Detroit, that Detroit did offer him an extension at some point. Uh, but as you would guess, the two sides were very far apart in what they offered and what he wanted. Yeah. And I think he's still very much, and as he should, chase the max contract. Um, it's just somebody needs to – I don't know if they're telling him now, and he's just – yeah, it's not going to happen. It's just the way the game has gone. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's not it's not the right fit at the right time. For Andre Drummond uh, in the NBA. Tristan Thompson's another free agent here with Cleveland. Uh, there is apparent interest on bringing him back. I don't get it again uh, for many <laughs> of the same reasons we talked about. I would rather have Tristan Thompson than Andre Drummond uh, at this yep. stage. I do think that Tristan can help a team. If he was in, if he was with the Clippers, I, I think that'd be amazing. Like if That's he signs, he'll fit. Yeah, a mid-level with the Clippers, uh, assuming they lose Montrezl Harrell. Like, that that just makes a lot of sense to me from a culture perspective. Um, would also be a really good fit with the Lakers uh, if they do want to reduce the amount of wear and tear on Anthony Davis by playing him at the four throughout big swaths of the season, although they obviously have... Uh, you know, Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee on player options, if they were to decline those player options. Um, you know, I think that or Dwight's a free agent, but, uh, you know, if Dwight doesn't want to return and JaVale McGee declines his player option for some reason, like that makes sense to me. I think that the Denver makes a lot of sense to me for Tristan yeah. Thompson, but uh, Cleveland is one situation that does not make much sense to me. For Tristan Thompson at this stage, he's not really a pick and roll point or not really a pick and roll center. Um, not really a shooter that can help space the floor for their developing guards. Like, I just don't really see it, to be honest. No, I'm with you. I think that team uh, needs a clean slate and kind of needs to try to transition itself from the last of that LeBron era. Um, I, I, I'm very curious to see what they what they do in the draft. Yeah. Um, do they do they go Obi Toppin? Do they go Isaac Okoro? I think we would both agree, and I know I don't even think you've mocked one single, <laughs> excuse me, one single point guard to them, even if the point guard is the best available player. Um, you know what though? If they took Lamelo Ball, like if Lamelo Ball's fall to five, yeah, I would for take sure. Him. 
Like, yeah, and then figure out the other two later. Yeah. But I don't know that I would take Anthony Edwards for them either. Really? Uh, Why? He's similarly ball dominant to right. Colin Sexton and Darius Garland. And I would be worried about, you know, and Kevin Porter wants the ball in his hands. And, you know, my impression is I think that they like Kevin a little bit more than they like Darius after last year. So, right. like, <laughs> I'd be looking at guys like Danny Avdia, Isaac Okoro, Devin Vassell. Mm-hmm. I would first and foremost be looking to trade down if Lamella Ball doesn't fall to number five. But like, they're just they need assets desperately, and they need assets who can be not ball dominant, <laughs> who are exactly. not going to demand the ball. <laughs> yes, um, Lamelo to me is a level of talent ahead of where these guys are. So I would go for it. And then I also think that like you could play LaMelo with Colin Sexton or Darius Garland um, and probably Kevin Porter because of his level of passing and his playmaking ability. But man, <laughs> please get guys who can move without the ball. Like that's all I'm asking. Yeah. It's, I mean, they need to stop. Yeah. They just need to start building a team and I'm with you like for, always draft the best player um but cleveland's put itself in such a hole that like if anthony edwards is technically the best player when you're picking it just doesn't make sense um and i don't think his i don't is his upside like would you deal darius garland and or like you just said kevin porter if to get anthony edwards like i don't think you're i don't know no i wouldn't exactly so um. Yeah. Now they need to start, in my eyes, just like piecing together a actual basketball team instead of having so much overlap at such key positions. Yeah. No. It's uh. They they, they need to start figuring out this roster in a hurry because it's a it's a nightmare. Um. James, I think that's. I, I don't think I need to talk more about the Cavs because they depress me. <laughs> to be honest. And I think that we can, uh, we can call it there after two hours of podcasting. Uh, but it didn't feel like two hours. It, was, it felt like a breezy conversation. No, it did not. The only thing that I've noticed is that it was light when we started and now my room is pitch black, uh, where, where my office is. And until you said that, it's like, Oh, I didn't even realize that that was dude, so much fun. I appreciate you having me on. Um, yeah, that was great. And Again, hope everything's gone well with you and your move. And I know it's uh, it's crunch time for you now with the draft nearing, <laughs> and hopefully you get to enjoy the uh, the the great Australian weather here soon once once it's wrapped up. That would be a dream. Uh, we'll see if it actually happens. Please uh, <laughs> tell the people where they can find your work, though, James. Yeah, uh, I'm on Twitter, JL Edwards III for the third. Uh, um, the Athletic, I cover the Pistons. I will have something with John Hollinger coming, I assume, the day you hear this. So Thursday, if you're in America, um, where we just go through. I thought of some good Blake Griffin trades. I pitched him to Hollinger, see what he thinks. And we had some he had some good comments. So, yeah, draft's coming up. Um, yeah, I don't, know, I don't know what much more to say than if you're into the Pistons, check us out. If you're into draft, Sam's the best in the entire world. So... If you're not subscribed to the athletic now i don't know what you're doing 
James is one of my favorite beat writers at our website. He does incredible work covering what is just a shitty team in Detroit. He's extremely creative. Please go follow his work. This has been the Game Theory Podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe, do everything you can to support the show. We will be back next week with more, but until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye.